HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hi, Love Bites listeners. Jacqueline here. It's been a while. I miss you. We're still taking a season break, and Ben and I are exploring our worlds. He's still dating his girlfriend, Deanna, who you met pretty thoroughly in episode 81, and he's getting ready to return to Portland for the second in his performance of Astoria at Portland Center Stage, where he was last year. And I'm doing pretty well right now, actually. You can find me on social media as at Art and say hi. 
As we all move into the holidays, we're going to be shopping a lot, giving a lot, loving a lot, hopefully, and eating a lot. So I figured now is a good time to launch this interview I recorded in the studio a few weeks back. It crosses a few of my favorite nerdy things, and I hope you enjoy it. So keep in touch. We're at lovebitesradio.com and at lovebitesradio on social. And happy holidays. Welcome to Love Bites Radio. I'm your host, Jacqueline Raposo. This is a Love Bites special as we are not live in the studio at Heritage Radio this season. Head to lovebitesradio.com or episode 84 for the story as to why that is. But I am in the studio with Vitor in the booth today as I have Dr. Leslie Korn on the line calling in. Dr. Korn is an integrative medicine doctor specializing in mind-body medicine and mental health nutrition. Now, if you are a regular listener of Love Bites, you'll know that Ben and I are both very fascinated with brain health and happiness, and I particularly with how the body and food work together to make us our best possible selves, even despite some of us having a chronic illness. So Dr. Korn's seventh book, The Good Mood Kitchen, was recently released by W.W. Norton and Company. And so while we're still technically taking a break this season, I could not miss out on having a chat with her. We're very glad to have you on the line. Welcome to Love Bites Radio, Dr. Korn. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here, Jacqueline. So before we jump into anything too specific... Um, do you have any disclaimers that you want people to know about if they're having a health condition and listening to this episode? Well, certainly I think that it's very hard to self-diagnose or self-treat, particularly with complex illness. And it, it's always good to work with a clinician uh, whom you trust. Um, but I, I don't think I'll step into any territory that'll be dangerous for anyone today. Excellent. And I think our listeners know that we're sort of the same as well, that we have every disclaimer possible for, you know, forging your own path and, and finding people who are smarter than we are, meaning us hosts, as far as uh, anything we say here, if you're taking this into your own personal path. So to start with the general space of what we're going to talk about today, which is how our brains help contribute to our mood and our ability to love other people. What commonalities do you see regarding our environments and how our environments, you know, modern day habits, like what are you seeing with, with patients sort of across the board that you think is contributing largely to our unhappiness? Well, I began my work many years ago working with people with chronic illness, both physical and emotional, and they often go together. And uh, what I noticed is that all of my patients, and these are often people who are survivors of trauma. We've got very high rates of adverse childhood events that really disrupt the rhythms of the body, the rhythms of the mind. And what I discovered is that there was a connection between these adverse events and also the chronic stress of modern life. Mm. And whether it's an urban environment or rural environment, uh, you can experience tremendous stress that takes us out of connection with our own natural rhythms and our connection to the rhythms of nature. And this led me to explore 
our psychobiological rhythms, our physiological rhythms, and how we are guided by the rhythms of the cosmos, the rhythms of the earth, the light-dark cycle that guides our brain function. We don't think about it, but our modern life uh, con- contributes to our ignoring it. If you look at uh, cave people and how they lived, they went to sleep when it got dark, and they woke up when it got light. And while we might not do that ever, uh, most of us, um, we do need to recognize the toll that takes on our brain, on our mind, and on our capacity for happiness. And I'll tell you one little story about the research that they did to discover this. They took uh, a cohort of men and they recreated the experience of going to sleep and waking up like our cave people ancestors did. And what they found is they'd go to sleep Uh, when it got dark, and then around 2 in the morning, they awoke in a trance state. They were in an altered state and stayed awake for about 90 minutes to two hours, during which time they had altered experiences. They were in a trance state. They often solved their problems through this introspective, quiet period. Then they went back to sleep and woke up in the morning with lots of answers. Now, just the fact that we don't carry out that kind of rhythm may keep us from that kind of good mood and uh, <laughs> problem-solving capacity that's built in. Now, that to me, just with my personality and my personal interests, makes complete sense because I believe both in like the rhythms of the earth, but earth and also the rhythms of our of our brains and what our brains want. So how does that idea in this sort of very earth, you know, rhythmic natural sort of approach how does that what is that doing in our brain if you know like for people who are more like you know science and and bodies are are matter they're not you know for people who are who want the analysis like what what does that do or even you mentioned stress before and like you know you hear doctors talking about stress hormones and like you know neurologically like what is that actually how does that translate to what is happening in our brains, what's firing or not firing, if we are under a lot of stress, or if, like you said, we are denying ourselves these rhythms that our bodies were, I guess, sort of built for, seems to be what you're saying. Absolutely. Well, we have two major rhythms. One's called the circadian rhythm, and that is a rhythm that is... uh, The brain is guided by the light-dark cycle. So when it's light, certain hormones are secreted. Uh, In particular, cortisol, the stress hormone, is should be high in the morning. That's what gives us our get-up-and-go, our joie de vivre. We're raring to go at it, and then it starts to decrease throughout the day. And by midnight, it should be quite low, at which time melatonin, Part of the circadian rhythm kicks in and gives us our sleep hormone. However, when we get off of that rhythm, that the disruption of that rhythm underlies a great deal of mental distress and chronic illness. And what happens is the cortisol is actually quite low in the morning. That's actually a marker for biological depression. And then you've got it very high at night, which contributes to insomnia. We see this in bipolar disorder as well and and different mood disorders. It's very common in post-traumatic stress. And it was 
really first discovered with the study of survivors of the Holocaust and, and their children, that this natural cycle of waking up with energy, waking up with high cortisol, and then having it lower throughout the day uh, into a relaxed state was totally turned around, as though your clock was, was uh, really quite the opposite. So that's the first cycle. The second cycle is the ultradian rhythm. That's a shorter cycle of the brain. That's 90 to 120 minutes. And that is a cycle of brain hemispheric dominance. Our right brain and our left brain switch dominance about every 90 to 120 minutes. And that is guided by nostril dominance, believe it or not. The yogis have long known that if you control your breath, you control your mind. And some wonderful scientist yogis at Stanford proved this, uh, really the, proved the wisdom of the yogis in the laboratory not long back, that the opposite nostril, when it is open, the opposite nostril to the left side of the brain, for example, that means your left brain is open. And likewise, when your left nostril is open, it means your right brain is more active. Now, clearly our brain is working together all the time, but one side dominates just as one nostril clogs and opens about every 90 to 120 minutes. Now, what does this mean for our modern life? Our left brain is more of our linear, focused, let's get things done brain, and our right brain is more of our dreamy, yawny, when am I going to eat brain, i got to take a break from the computer or from my work, let me just dream about my life. But we ignore that dreamy state. We push on that left brain throughout the day to produce. Uh, we have to compete. We often ignore and so that also takes its toll on the ability of the brain to rest and restore and actually detoxify. And this also upsets our sleep cycle, which is a cycle that's meant to restore our capacity. And whenever you don't have a happy, relaxed brain and sleep cycle, you're going to be depressed and moody and, and anxious. So question about this alternate nostril breathing, because I have, I've been doing that for a long time in my yoga practice, but in that practice, you are breathing through both nostrils alternatively. So if you were trying to activate this right part of the brain to calm it down, do you, do you want to intentionally sort of breathe out of your left nostril for a little bit? I'm trying to visualize like, wait a second, if yeah. I want to activate. So That's for the actual practice, you would breathe out of your left nostril if you're trying to relax your brain? That's exactly right. Huh, yeah. For example, this is why the yogis instruct us to go to sleep on our right side, because as you sleep on your right side, your right nostril clogs up, and therefore it closes down that left thinking brain. And for example, with my own patients, if I've got children who uh, want to focus better or pay attention better, or really at any age, you can breathe through your right nostril to open up your left brain brain. Let's say you're going to take a test. So understanding these brain hemispheric dominance gives us a tool to alter our consciousness rather than altering it artificially, let's say with Adderall. That is fascinating because I'm also a night anxiety person. 
And, and I figured out a way to get past that night anxiety through this, like this meditation practice thing that I sort of invented for myself and it works for me, but I'm also a left sided sleeper. And so now I'm thinking that I need to shift that up and be a right sided sleeper if I want to also help my brain. Very interesting. Wow. Okay. So how, how else can we, especially, so we just talked about the ultradian part a little bit more. So as far as shifting our environment, um, we're already sort of talking about my next question or like, how are ways that we can shift in ways that are not a little, are not, you know, completely overwhelming ways that are a little bit more comforting. How can we start doing some of these natural shifts to make our, to help our brains feel a little happier and calmer already before we even jump into the food part of our conversation? What are some ways that we can bring in a little bit more of this calm, happy love to our brains that deserve it? One of the simple ways to help regulate your circadian rhythm is to get light, natural light in the morning. Uh, anywhere, if you, if you don't live in a high light environment, you can get a light box. But if you can get out and get some light before noon, uh, wherever you live, at just for about 20 minutes of indirect light, you're going to be stimulating your serotonin, your happy chemicals. And then at night, especially if you're feeling wired or hyped up, I use what are called blue light blocking glasses because it's the blue light in our light bulbs that is stimulating to the brain, that continues to trick the brain into thinking that it should be wide awake. And so I don't ask my patients to go to sleep when it gets dark. I say, how about if you're going to be on the computer or watching TV or reading, put on these blue light blocking glasses so that we're actually letting the brain know that it can start to release melatonin and you can start oh. to rest and relax. Oh, so you're not Those actually telling people they have simple. to go to sleep at sundown. No, no, no. I think uh, the blue light blocking glasses is our modern equivalent to that. The other thing that's very important is vitamin B12 also helps reset your circadian rhythm. And so anybody who feels like their rhythm is off, and boy, I'll tell you, that's a lot of the population, adding a supplement like B12 will also help uh, balance that light cycle that you're taking in through. For the scientific folks, it's the suprachiasmatic notch in the hypothalamus that transduces the light and stimulates our brain chemicals. Now, this is sort of a pretty obtuse question, but since we are a show about love, how will shifting and calming our brain, how will that make us more able to love ourselves and others and the world around us if we start implementing some of these shifts? What will that do in the brain so that we are more able to love the world? I think love is very much about being rhythmically attuned within. I think there's so much from outside that's bombarding us all the time that causes us to shift attention outward. And I think love does begin with self-love and being able to be in tune with our own feelings. And there is so much that gets in the way of our tuning in to our own feelings. And out of that self-love and acceptance, too, recognizing that we all have different rhythms. Have you noticed when you live with a partner, you're often cold when they're hot and they're hot when you're cold. Those are the rhythms that we find people to help 
uh, rhythmically entrain us, just like we often live with someone who gets up a little bit earlier and goes to bed a little bit earlier than we do, or vice versa. That's because our rhythms are seeking others to help balance us out. We know, for example, when women live together, our menstrual cycles entrain with each other. And so getting in touch with these various rhythms and accepting who we are very naturally, because some of us do wake up a little bit later, and that's genetically determined cycle, that we love ourselves and it then allows us to entrain and rhythmically vibrate at all the levels, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual with other beings, whether it's romantically involved or uh, the love of companion animals. Yay. Oh, I like, I love that answer. I love that answer for, for so many different reasons. Wonderful. Uh, listeners, after the break, we're going to be back and pull in food and Dr. Corn's guidance in the Good Mood Diet. So grab your ginger tea and listen to a few words from our team here at Heritage Radio, and we will be right back. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. And we are back with Dr. Leslie Korn. And now we're going to talk about her newest book. And there's a lot of information in it. So we're going to funnel big picture into a little narrower of a picture here. So let's start um, again with a generalization, Dr. Korn. How does food make our body unhappy? The primary way in which it makes us unhappy is if we don't fuel our body and our brain with the food it needs. We often think about the role of food in our physical health, but our food also affects our mood and our happiness. Our happiness and our mood, our ability to think, really comes in large part out of the chemical interactions, the neurotransmitter interactions in our brain that are facilitated by the fats that our brain is made up of. We need lots of grease and lots of lubrication in our brain for all all those chemicals to talk to each other. And so if we are not eating foods like good quality protein, good quality oils like olive oil, raw butter, hemp oil, then just like a car would get clogged and break down if you gave it the wrong kind of gas, so does our brain and our mind. 
you are food nerds like most of us here are, you'll have followed the trends and criticisms against this sort of war on fat. And now there's anger against the sugar industry. We sort of track what these big companies and maybe some skewed science say about certain things that we put into our bodies. And so for decades, we were told, don't eat fat, don't eat fat, fat is bad for you. And even now with what we know to be true about healthy fats versus other things, I've still never heard fat being referred to specifically for its function in the brain. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and still ways that we will understand? Yes, indeed. Thank the you. brain is made up of a great deal of fat. The brain is fat. Uh, and and it, just like your car needs lubrication, so does the brain. The membranes in the brain uh, are require fat. They're made up of fat so that uh, these, these electrical circuits can communicate. The old myth that fat was bad for you really came out of old 1950s bad science. And I right. think you're, you're absolutely wise to suggest that we be very critical and critique any information that comes to us. And one of the uh, main points that I make in the Good Mood Kitchen is that there's no one right diet for everyone. Some people, like the Inuit of Alaska and Greenland, are going to live on mostly fat and some protein and very low carbs. But that's not going to be right for my patient in India who's a natural vegetarian who needs some fat. You'll require it in any body of, of the world, but oftentimes less of a ratio of fat and will do very well fueling her engine on carbohydrates of vegetables, legumes, and grains. And so the real key in understanding fats and proteins and carbs, because now, as you say, we're in a, an anti-sugar, and I think for everyone, sugar would be poison, but we're also in this low-carb craze. But that's not right for everybody. Right. And so the real key is understanding how your engine functions best. Well, so speaking of which, there is so much stuff out there. And again, listeners who've listened to the show before have heard me talk about all of these different things for my illness I've tried or not tried and that not every way of eating is right for everybody and depending on your health and your illness and your activity, etc. But one thing that in my interactions with people personally and professionally, there's a lot of overwhelm because there is so much information about that. There are so many different types of recommendations and diets. The word diet, even, I always sort of put either in italics or parentheses because it can be very overwhelming as to which is the right way to eat. So your book starts with guidance first in the way to remove certain things, processed food, fast food, caffeine for those of us who don't need it medicinally. But what is your basic rule of thumb for Americans, we'll just say, for happiness eating, since we do have everything available to us? Well, we want to stop eating the sad diet, the diet that makes us sad. Seasonal affective disorder comes from the standard American diet. <laughs> that is a sad, that sad. And that no. is a pro-inflammatory diet. I look 
to Mother Nature. And again, we go back to what we were talking about earlier. Look to what the natural world has given us. Nature did not give us refined sugar and refined flour. Nature gave us sugar cane. And with sugar cane and this delicious sweet plant came fiber and minerals and vitamins that slowed down the uptake of glucose and made us relaxed as we got the sweetness that our brain desired. That's what nature gave us, just like nature gave us the coca leaf, which is designed for people who live at high altitudes to chew on and be able to oxygenate their bodies. Nature did not give us cocaine or crack. And so the first step is to ask, is this something that Mother Nature has given us or approximates the natural world, because we are biological beings that require whole foods. And so I ask people to eliminate some of the refined foods, the artificial sweeteners, which really wreak havoc on mood. Uh, they're very, uh, they, they really create problems with attention and ADHD and mood disorders. And they really then make me look as a clinician about whether my client has a true diagnosis of a mental disorder or whether if they improve their diet, their mood liability will go away. And so that's the first step, getting rid of the poisons and then looking to what nature has provided. I find it comforting in the idea, you know, I have a relatively clean lifestyle compared to most people I know because of having grown up with the health issues I have and having learned a lot of this, fortunately, as a child. But just like when somebody's coming off of a drug, I try to tell people, if you just give a period to get yourself off of sugar, your body will crave it less and it will, you will taste other things differently. It is a physical thing. It is a brain thing. Like it is an actual thing that your body has attached to and it will detach? Do you have any frame of comfort or timeline of comfort that you give people that it's just like, if you can just get past this point, or if you just do this, I promise it will get better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, each drug, whatever kind of drug, whether it's alcohol or a particular drug or a food drug, has a different detoxification rate. One of the things I talk about in the Good Mood Kitchen is coming off the addiction to sugar, and you can do that in seven days. And what I do with those clients is I give them an approach to eating lots of fat, lots of protein, very low carbs, just for seven days. And I guarantee you, your craving for sugar, your physical craving for sugar will be eliminated at the end of those seven days. Um, now, there are other things that we use. I use supplements, for example, minerals like chromium also help sugar cravings. And so someone may decide, well, I need to work up to that more slowly. And so I might suggest that they take chromium and magnesium along with B vitamins, which reduce sugar cravings and they nourish the brain. Let's remember that we crave things for two reasons because we either need them or something about them, we need it in the brain, or because we're allergic to it. And so I ask my clients to identify, uh, for example, one of, I've never had a client come to me and say, I need help. I crave carrots. I eat too many carrots. No. They say, I'm craving bread. I'm craving wheat. I'm eating too much pasta. And that's because it's boosting our glucose, 
it boosts our mood for a short time. It boosts our dopamine and our serotonin. And then we plummet. And then we're in a bad mood. And then we crave more. And then we grab more. Uh, and you can never get enough pasta. You can never get enough bread, right? right? You get plenty of carrots. You get plenty of salad. And that's giving us insight into uh, the addiction versus feeding the brain. And then one final suggestion I have with my clients who want to come off sugar or really any any drug is the use of amino acids because the amino acids are the building blocks of our brain neurotransmitters. And it's our brain neurotransmitters that we're altering with all these different drugs that we're taking, whether they're food, whether they're pharmaceuticals. But nature gave us amino acids and we can do it much more gently and naturally without the side effects. And then once we make these shifts, how how do we feel happier? What what does that actually do to our mood and how we then move through our day and interact with other human beings? Well, we feel, number one, a little bit more in control of our lives, which also adds to a little happiness. We're always balancing that place in our lives of being seeking control and while we're recognizing that we have absolutely no control at all. And so where we can find control, let's grab it. But the main thing that happens when we get off the sugar addiction or weed addiction, whatever it is, coffee addiction, is that our mood is more stable. We don't feel so up and down. And then that's going to enhance our relationships with people because we're often blaming people or we're, you know, we've got road rage or whatever it is that we experience as an external factor when indeed it's our own inner equanimity that we need to achieve in order to have the foundation for happiness. Now, as the book is called The Good Mood Kitchen, but I assume there is a a lot of letting go that does happen with your patients. And then also one thing I always worry about when I observe people going through major shifts in their health or specifically the way that they eat in hopeful benefit of their health is sustainability and longevity. And, um, I think that it can be very hard that as soon as something happens in our lives, we get a new job or, or we have a new partner or we move or something, the habits that we've cultivated that do make us feel better can easily be the first things to go because all of a sudden fast food is just there versus the farmer's market is not. Um, so do you have any, any tips that you've, that you've figured out work really well with patients as far as, um, making the journey part of cultivating happiness. Absolutely. Um, I think that we need to recognize that there are going to be times when we can't adhere to to some kind of approach that we've developed for ourselves. But the Good Mood Kitchen is not about suffering. It's not about deprivation. I've got a wonderful recipe in there on how to make healthy almond joys, chocolate almond joys. Who does not love chocolate, coconut, and almonds, except they're made without sugar, and it's a a wonderful candy treat that you can make for yourself. There's no suffering on this approach. You just find healthy substitutions, and because of your interest, Jacqueline, in, in this idea of joy and happiness, I also share with my clients about this concept of the clinical endocannabinoids in the body. They're the greatest number of neurotransmitters throughout the body. Indeed, one of the 
um, major chemicals is called anandamide, after the word ananda in Sanskrit, meaning joy or bliss. Now, we know that endocannabinoids are made internally when we're joyful, but we also know that they're the source for, for example, medical cannabis. But did you know that chocolate is very rich in these anandamides that increase our joy and increase our bliss? It's not the chocolate that's the problem. It's the sugar. And so throughout the book, I provide recipes that are easy to make for very busy people. For example, bone broth, very rich in glycine, which boosts our mood, makes us happy, and allows us to have a sumptuous meal that takes only 10 minutes to prepare, and we leave the house, and eight hours, nine hours later, we come back to a a delicious stew. We're not going to survive in our modern lives if we're going to have to suffer through this approach. It's basically... Get in touch with what you need by what your body is telling you, what your mind is telling you, and then find these wonderful ways to self-nourish as a source to your happiness. Yay. <laughs> so listeners, this is why I really wanted to have Dr. Leslie Korn on the show. This is very much the way that I love food and I work with food and I feel that food makes me a very healthy, whole, happy person. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Korn. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it as well, Jacqueline. Thank you. So listeners, you can find more about Dr. Leslie Korn at drlesliecorn.com. And there are links to her work and purchasing of her books at lovebitesradio.com as well. If you tuned into our last episode with Sasha Graham, you heard about the awesomeness of Kettle Space, along with amazing stuff about using tarot cards for your own personal happiness power. So for 20% off your first month of membership at Kettle Space, plug in the code LOVEBITES and come hang out with me there. You can find me and my darling podcast partner in arms, Ben Rosenblatt, on all social platforms as at LoveBitesRadio. Thank you, as always, to our Heritage Radio Network team and our engineer, Vitor, and to you for listening. Remember to always give love to your Self and others, lovely humans. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.